Well, today we move into this third element uh, in our series through what we're called the Redemption Life. This, this banner here representing that. We're gonna, we've spent uh, four weeks there already. In the next two weeks, we're going to be there. We're going to spend this week um, and next week looking at this idea of reaching the community. Uh, and then we will have our, our launch September 16th. And then we're going to spend some time looking at these uh, six principles, redemption culture, these, these things we want to be as a church together uh, before launching into the book of Exodus. So if you're wanting to read ahead, get an idea where we're going, um, reading through Exodus over the next while might be a good place to start. But we've been asking this question, what is a healthy disciple? What does it mean to be a disciple at Redemption Church? What does it look like to be a believer in, in this community here? And we try to boil that down, answer that question as, as simply and still as comprehensively as possible. And that is not an easy task. Um, but this is what we've come up with, these three words, abide, grow, reach. Uh, abide in Christ, grow in the church, and reach the community. Um, my hope is that preaching through these, um, filling those out over the next uh, few weeks, over, the, over this course of six weeks, that, that you'll be able to remember them, that they'll be simple, easy to hang on to, but that there'll also be a, a depth and a richness there, that as we throw these words out, there'll be much more than those kind of single words, but a whole context behind that, that we all kind of know what we're striving after together. Uh, so as I said uh, before, those, those sermons are going up at, at redemptionolds.com uh, as well as uh, on SoundCloud there. So if you have a chance, I just encourage you, uh, if you've missed some of those, maybe catch up just that we have kind of this full family. Everybody's on board. We all know what we're talking about together. Um, but I, wanna, I want us to just continue to grow in this and to understand what it means to be a church abiding in Christ growing in the church and reaching the community. And, and I'm particularly passionate, this third element, uh, as we move into this last set, for a number of reasons. One reason I was thinking, if I were to have to answer which one of these three do I think we're weakest at, um, sadly, I, I think it would be this one. I think there's some cultural reasons for that. I, I think it's true of, of our church particularly, but I think it's true of the, the North American church. We've, we've painted this picture that it's the, it's the weird radical Christian that's out sharing his faith. It's the weird, crazy Christian that's, that's you know, maybe even standing on the street corner proclaiming the gospel, uh, and that, that takes a certain personality for sure. Um, but are we involved in this mission? Um, are, we, are we continually sharing this, this good news. What would happen if, if I were to ask how, how many of us this week, I'm not going to, but what if I asked to put your hand up, how many of us this week had a, a clear and intentional gospel conversation? I hope, I hope a handful of hands would go up, um, but I'd like to be confident that, that like half of us would say, yeah, this week I had, a, I had a clear and intentional witnessing opportunity where I shared the gospel, I laid it out, clearly. Um, and, and I just don't think we're there yet. And so I've been thinking hard about that, praying hard about that. I would invite you to join me in praying about that, that we would be a church that knows what it means to reach the community, that understands our mission uh, as, as those who are sent out to, to share the gospel. Um, you know uh, the words of, of Matthew 28, 18 to 20. You're familiar with them, but, but this is kind of the second reason I'm passionate about this. This is our job. 
This is our mission. This is what Jesus left us with. These are his closing words. This is his marching orders to his followers as he leaves. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That, that's our job. Share the gospel. Make disciples. Train up disciples. That's, that's our mission statement. I lost people saved. Saved people mature. Mature people multiplied all to the glory of God. And we've seen some, some lost people saved. And we've seen, by God's grace, uh, some saved people come and, and grow and be matured. And we've seen mature people being multiplied. But, but I think if we had to point out which is our weakest element in that link, I think it's that lost people saved. I think it's going out and, and making disciples. And, and that's the core of who we are to be as the church in this world. So we're going to take a couple of weeks and, and just talk about this, looking at uh, Acts 1.8 this week, this great call to take the gospel to all nations. Uh, and then next week, we're going to be in Colossians 4, 2 to 6, which is a little more kind of practical how-to passage. But uh, turn with me to Acts 1.8, if you would. Uh, if you don't have a Bible on you, just go ahead and slip up your hand. One of our ushers will get one to you. We want you to have God's Word in your hand. Um, I, I, I just I can't emphasize this enough. I have no wisdom. I have no authority this morning or any morning. Uh, it's all about God's Word, and, and I want you to hear from God and not from me. So my hope is that you'll be able to look down and just see this. This is God's truth, and this is what the Lord says to us as a church. Um, so turn with me there. Um, we're going to look at verse 8 in particular, but for context, I want, to, I want to read from the start of the book uh, down to verse 11. Uh, so follow with me, Acts 1, verse 1. In the first book, that's the book of Luke, by the way, O Theophilus, that's who he's writing to, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. And he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while they were staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Narrowing in on verse 8, I think the first thing we see is this, this command to rely on his power rely on his power. But there's a, a whole bunch of assumptions wrapped up in that that I don't want to leave behind. Um, you'll notice that Jesus is correcting them with verse 8. He's, he's challenging them a little bit. 
Verse 6, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And, and Jesus just kind of systematically disassembles their question. First, he addresses the time issue in verse 7. You're going to do it right now? Hey, it's, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set. He already told them, Matthew 24, concerning the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. So if anybody tells you, comes to you and says, hey, I figured it out. I know the day that Jesus is coming back. If you hear trumpets, maybe he's on to something. Otherwise, you can just write him off. You, you know, you can ignore him. He, he doesn't know. They ask Jesus again, is now the time? Jesus says, still not telling. Uh, you're asking the wrong question. That's not what should be important to you right now. And he also corrects them on what exactly they're asking for. Using the word restore, they're, they're showing that they're still hoping for a political restoration. They're saying, will it be like it used to be? You're going to bring it back to like it was with, with David when Israel was its kingdom and, and secure. Is, is that what we're going? And, and then in focusing in on Israel, they show that they have their, their sights set far too low still. As we'll see, Jesus is sending them not only to Israel, but out to the ends of the earth. And he's bringing a, a kingdom that is so much greater than just a, a political dynasty of Israel. But the contrast I want to focus on here is that they're looking to Jesus and saying, are you going to do it now? Are you going to do it? Can we watch? And Jesus comes back saying, no, but you will receive power. He, he puts it back on them. He, he turns it around and he says, you're going to have a part in this. You're not, you're not just going to be sitting back eating popcorn. There's, there's work to do here. And now roll up your sleeves, boys. I love the angel's words in verse 11. That's why I wanted to, to read down that far. Jesus is, is taken up. He gives him this, this command, go into all the world. And, and then he's taken up into heaven. And, and the, angels, or the, the disciples just kind of standing there in this, in this daze. And, and you can't really blame them. But, but this angel shows up and says, what are you doing? Why are you staring off into the sky? There's work to do. We should, you, have, you have a job to do. Uh, I don't know. I don't know about you, my kids totally do this to me, right? Like, hey, we need, to, we need to leave. We need to go somewhere right away. First, you need to go pick up your toys, and then we can go. And they're like, okay. And then they just stand there. <laughs> Daddy, when are we going? Why are you standing here looking at me? You have a job to do, and then we can go. There's work to be done. Jesus had already told them, Matthew 24, 14, he says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And, and we do the same thing the disciples did. We, we like to bury our noses in, in Daniel and Ezekiel and Revelation and, and, and try to, to wrestle it down and figure out the details, and we make big charts up on the wall and we say, hey, Jesus, is this the day? Are you coming this day? Or maybe it's that day? Uh, Lord, when are you coming back? Oh, Jesus, I wish, I wish you were coming back. And, and in turn, Jesus is saying, well, are you about the work that I left for you to do? Are you, are you, have you rolled up your sleeves and, and got after the task? Now, we need to be clear. We absolutely should be studying and, and working to understand Ezekiel and Daniel and Revelation. That's not what I'm saying. Those are, those are great, beautiful truths. 
But what's the purpose of those books? What's the purpose of those, those future visions? Are they, are they written so that we can try to map out the day and figure out the, the time? No, they're, they're written to a particular people. Look at the book of Revelation. It was written to the church in that day to encourage them. Evil will be defeated. Jesus is coming back. He, he wins in the end. We will see the victory come. It's to encourage them in their mission. Be fearless. Don't worry about evil raising its head. Don't worry about this wicked, tyrannical government that's killing believers. Continue on in the mission. That's what those books are meant to do in us. So if you're, if you're too busy studying eschatology to go out and share the gospel, um, you would be far better off to sit down on a Sunday afternoon and read the book of Revelation once and then go out and share the gospel. Take away the one main point, Jesus wins in the end, and go call people to join. Come on, he's going to win. This will end in victory. Join us. Come be a part of this great victory. Follow this Messiah. That's, that's our job. That's our mission as long as we're here on this earth. Jesus did not intend for us to sit around and wait for his return. He gave us a job to do. And then notice he sends us out, but he doesn't send us out alone or without help. He tells us, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And the implication there is this is, this is necessary help. You need this. It could be translated, you will receive ability when the Holy Spirit comes on you. The implication being, without the Holy Spirit, you have no ability. You're not able to do this job that I've called you to do without his help. You will be useless in evangelism without the Holy Spirit. We need to realize that. Um, I don't know about you. Are you ever nervous sharing the gospel? Does your, does your heart pound a little bit and your mouth get a little dry? Do you fear that you might open your mouth and fail miserably and say something ridiculous or say nothing at all? Good. That's right where God needs you to be. That's exactly where he wants you. The, the moment we get confident in ourselves, the moment we think, I can do this, I've got this, I have this so rehearsed and nailed down, I am, I'm going to be the hero here. I'm going to be like Mr. Evangelism. We're useless. We're relying on human strength. We've, we've pushed out the Holy Spirit. Look at, at Luke 24 47, Jesus says that, that repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise, that my promise of my Father upon you. That's the Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. These are the disciples. He's been training them. They've walked with Jesus for three years. And, and now he's saying, I'm going to send you out, but... Don't go yet. Similar to Acts 1.8, he's telling them, you're going to be my witnesses, but don't do it yet. Don't bother even leaving the city. Stay home. Don't go out. Don't tell people about me. Don't proclaim this good news. Not yet. Why? Because the Holy Spirit hadn't come yet. Wait for the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes, then you'll be empowered. Uh, Acts 2. It happens. The Holy Spirit is poured out on the day of Pentecost. And what's the first thing we, we think of? What happened? Tongues happened. 
Well, yeah, it did, but let's be more specific. What was that? What was the gift of tongues and what did they do with it? The gift of tongues was the ability to speak in languages that they had not previously known. And what did they do? They shared the gospel. That's what it was. They spoke the good news. It wasn't a, it wasn't a magic trick or some private closet thing. It was power to share the gospel in a unique way. It was God's display. Now I am with you to empower you to the nations. It's very symbolic and significant. And as the theme flows on throughout the book, you can follow it. The next time someone's filled with the Spirit is chapter 4, verse 8. Peter and John are arrested and taken before the council. And it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, and he he goes on to share the gospel with them. He's filled with the Spirit and and he speaks the truth. Shortly after that, the whole church is huddled together in, in Acts 4, 31. They're, they're scared. They're, they're nervous. And it says, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then what? They continued to speak the word of God with boldness. That's what the Holy Spirit does in us. He, he empowers us. He, he strengthens us to, to proclaim this gospel. Acts 6, Stephen is surrounded by unbelieving Jews. He's he's about to be arrested and stoned. And in verse 10, it says, But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Now, if you look at that word spirit, in in almost every translation I could find, it's capitalized. And and I think they're right. They're saying it's not Stephen's spirit. It's not his like personality or something. No, it's, it's the Holy Spirit in which he is speaking. Acts 9, 31, the church Throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. What a beautiful statement. Isn't that what we want? To say the church throughout Olds and Mountain View County and Alberta and Canada and the world was at peace, walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. The church multiplied. It, it grew. People were getting saved. How? as they walked in the fear of the Lord and the, the, what, the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Now, now, comfort is such a weak English word, um, but it, it wasn't always. I, I, think the way it, I think the way it snuck into our translation here is, is kind of a carryover from the King James. Uh, it, it used to be a good translation. I don't know that it is anymore. Uh, comfort comes from the Latin, comforte, with strength. The Holy Spirit wasn't patting them on the back. He's empowering them. They're with the the power, they're strengthened by the Holy Spirit and the church grows. What is it implying? They're they're sharing the gospel. They're going out. We want to see the church grow, amen? We want to see the church multiply. And there are a couple of ways we could do that. We could work really hard to try to empty out every other church in town. Right? Make sure that all of the Christians in this area come to to Redemption Church because we're the best church. We're the ones who do it right one way we could try to grow the church. But think about it. Um, it doesn't really grow the church. It just grows our church. There's no net gain as far as the kingdom of God is concerned. And look, I'm, I'm happy some people have come here from other churches because they've not been fed on God's word and they're not growing and being discipled and, 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 they, and they come and join in with us. I'm, I'm glad for that. But that's not our church growth plan. 
That's not what gets me excited. I am not eager to go out and tell other Christians that they need to go to our church instead of another church. Our church growth plan has lost people saved. That's what we want to see. That's what we ought to be eager about. That's what excites the Lord's heart. That's what he is eager for. And for that to happen, we need to rely on his power. We need to understand we are seeking something way outside, way, way above our pay grade. We need the Holy Spirit working through us. And we ought to embrace that. We ought to see our neediness and be okay with that. Go ahead. Be terrified. Feel weak. Feel unprepared. Beg God for his help and then open your mouth and speak the gospel and see if the Holy Spirit doesn't work through you. Rely on his power and talk to your neighbor. Rely on his power and, and talk with your coworker. Don't, don't wait for opportunities. Make opportunities. Pray for God's help and then just begin to speak. Let the Holy Spirit work through you. So rely on his power. And then the second phrase here is, is repeat the proclamation. It's the next line in this verse. You will be my witnesses, Jesus says. That's, that's our job, is to be a witness. Here's the thing about a witness. You're not responsible for the message, right? You don't bring a, a witness up into the courtroom to hear them say, well, I kind of think that this is what happened, and, and I wonder if maybe this is true. And, and it, it's my opinion that you know, the, the witness's job is to stand up and say, this is what I saw, or this is what I know to be true. And so we are witnesses in, in only a secondary sense in some ways. This, this passage is, is spoken most primarily to the disciples, the apostles, they were the original eyewitnesses. They saw it. Acts 1-3 makes this clear. He, that's Jesus, presented himself alive to them, to the disciples, after his suffering by many proofs. There's, there's more courtroom language. Appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Luke 24 and said to them, said to the disciples, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day and rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all the earth, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. You've seen it. That's why John, when he, when he introduces the letter of 1 John, listen to the language he uses here. He says, That which was from the beginning, that's Jesus, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon, we've touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that which was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father who was made manifest to us. He's saying, I saw Jesus. I touched him with my hands. I'm not making this up. I was an eyewitness, and I'm giving you this account. So the 12 apostles, and, and to just a, a somewhat lesser extent, Paul were eyewitnesses of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And, and we are witnesses in that we take that witness and carry it forward. We continue to proclaim their message. We say, John saw Jesus. He, he touched him. He talked with him. He knew him. He saw the resurrected Christ. We're not responsible for the message. We don't come up with what to say. 
And, and that means there are a lot of things that, that frankly just don't qualify, that don't count as witnessing. The gospel is repeating the proclamation made by the disciples. And, and it's easy to lose sight of that. We had, we had some, some kids in our youth group back in the day, precious kids, love these guys. Um, but, but they would get so excited and they would say, we shared the gospel like four times today. And what they meant by that was that when they, when they bought their cheeseburger at McDonald's, they, they would muster all of their strength and they would say, God loves you and, and scuttle for the door. Yes, share the gospel. I did it. Now, does God love people? Absolutely he does. Is that the gospel? Not even close. I mean, it's true. It's not a horrible thing to say, but is it, is it the gospel? No. Neither is the gospel telling someone God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Or, or to tell them that, that you just need to have faith. You just need to believe. We need a little broader picture than that. Even our own personal story of what God has done in my life is not in itself the gospel. It might be helpful, but it's not the gospel. We don't get to decide what the message is, what gospel we bring to the world. We are witnesses pointing back to a set of historical truths. Paul boils it down this way, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. He says, For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received. So Paul is even kind of making himself secondary here. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Most of them are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. That's the, that's the heart, that's the core of the gospel, that we're sinners. That we deserve the, the wrath of God and that Jesus died for our sin and rose victorious on the third day. And notice Paul's refrain according to the scripture. Now in other places Paul is very confident and bold and he calls it my gospel and he knows the Holy Spirit is riding through him but, but here he, he just backs himself up a little bit and it's a good example for us. He's just pointing back to the Bible. This is what the scripture says and if you're looking carefully this is the storyline of the Bible from the very beginning to the last verse. This is what the Bible teaches. And our job is to, is to repeat that proclamation faithfully, right? To, to be good at that game of telephone, of passing that along. And, and, and the game of telephone works really well if each person just goes back to the first person and we each just point back to Scripture, back to God's Word. So don't, don't miss that. Our job is to repeat the proclamation. Don't be, don't be fooled into sharing a, a counterfeit gospel or a partial gospel or less than what the Bible teaches. Um, this message that we've been entrusted with is, is significant. And have a plan. How am I going to keep on track? How do, I, how do I judge afterwards as I'm thinking back? Did I, did I say everything I needed to say? Wow. Many of you, I'm sure, are familiar with the, the Romans Road. That's a, that's a great, helpful tool to use. Um, I, I just I'm, I get flustered. I'm sure you guys do too. Sometimes talking with people, you get thrown off your game or you're not thinking clearly. So I just took a red pen and, and highlighted each of these verses through Romans. And at the bottom of the page, I just wrote a little note to myself, which verse comes next. So I, just, I don't have to worry about that. 
Um, Romans Road looks like this. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're, we're sinners. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 10.13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's, it's pretty easy to just kind of walk somebody through. Let me, let me show you the key pieces of the gospel. Another way that, that I often commend to you is just four words. God, man, Christ, response. It, it's that easy. God. God is the creator, owner of this world. He is holy and just man. We were created to worship God, to be in relationship with God, but we sinned. And, and from Adam on, we're born into sin and we willfully walk in sin. And for that, we deserve the punishment of hell. God, man, Christ. God himself came to this earth in the person of Jesus Christ to die on the cross and pay the penalty for sin. God, man, Christ responds. He calls people to repent, to trust in him for forgiveness. And just, just run that as a checklist in your head as you're talking with somebody. We, we have a bunch of these gospel tracks at the back. Some of them are a little more specific, things like what cancer can't do or how do I have joy in my life. They're all focused around the gospel. These, these three in particular, what is the gospel? Boy, that's, that's clear and easy. Don't, don't feel awkward. Just pull that out. Hey, let me, let me just walk you through this little booklet. How can we know we'll go to heaven? Question people ask. Uh, life's ultimate question. Boy, is there a purpose to life? Is there a meaning to life? Yeah, there is. The Bible tells you about it. Let me, let me just show you. And, and these are just filled with, with Scripture and a clear presentation of the gospel. Take those. I would love to see that tray emptied this afternoon and have to refill it. Uh, actually, not quite. I need some for Thursday. Uh, but take them. Take them. Use them. Give them out. Just here's, here's something to read uh, in your spare time. Uh, see what God won't do. But let's be, let's be careful. Our job as a witness is to be faithful with the message that we've been given, to, to repeat that proclamation. Um, and you know what? Our job is also not necessarily to debate people, not necessarily to convince people or convict people or convert people. Now, obviously, we, we want people to be saved. We, we absolutely would plead with people to, to repent. We would we would be eager to answer their questions or, or to show them where their, their concerns or their doubts are misguided. But we have to understand the outcome of being a witness is beyond our ability and beyond our responsibility. According to Ephesians 2.1, they're dead in their trespasses and sins. They have what Ezekiel 36 calls a heart of stone. Do you, do you carry spiritual life around in your back pocket? Do you have a, a briefcase with a new heart that you can offer them? I sure don't. Um, we need God to do that. We need God to give spiritual life, to give them a new heart capable of repentance and faith. You don't do that. That's not your job. I love uh, through Ezekiel 36, God talks to Ezekiel about this, this wonder of the new heart and I'll, I'll remove the heart of stone from their flesh and I'll give them a heart of flesh and I'll cause them to walk according to my statutes. And then he, he gives Ezekiel this picture. He, he takes Ezekiel in a vision to this valley filled with dry bones. And he says to Ezekiel, preach, proclaim the message, speak it out. And Ezekiel's like, why am I talking to dead bones? But as he proclaims 
the message, the bones begin to rattle and move and, and get wrapped in flesh and sinews and come to life. And God raises up a mighty army. That's what we do. When you go to share the gospel, just picture that. You are like Ezekiel giving this witness to a pile of dead bones. And God in his mercy might see fit to bring them to life. What an amazing miracle that we get to be a part of. But we're not responsible for that life. We're, we're just, we just need to be faithful to, to repeat the proclamation. So take a deep breath. Pressure's, pressure's off. It's okay. Uh, our job is not to convert, but, but to repeat the proclamation. Uh, now again, if there's no response, or maybe there's a very negative response, um, I hope that, that you would be saddened by that. I hope that you wouldn't give up, but you would continue to pursue that person, continue to, to share the gospel with them, to plead with them, to repent. But we still have to understand that you've done what you've been called to do. You've made that proclamation. You've been a witness. You've warned them about the wrath of God and pointed them to that great escape that is Jesus. And that's significant. That's, that's our mission. That's the job that we've been given to do. Uh, and notice, you are a witness. It's not optional. Uh, if you're a, a believer in Jesus, he says, you, you will be my witness once the Holy Spirit has come. And, and he has come. And so we are his witnesses. You might be a good witness or a poor witness, but you're a witness. And I get it. That's not easy. Uh, that's uncomfortable. That's awkward. That might put strain on some of your relationships. That might be the end of some of your relationships. That, you might get fired from your job. But that's what we're here to do. The word witness there in, in the Greek is the word martyreo. Sound, sound familiar? Uh, originally, it, it just meant witness in kind of a legal sense. But after the time of Christ, as the disciples and the believers went out being that witness, that word began to take on new connotations. And, and, and that's where we get our English word martyr, because they were killed for their witness, because they were giving up their lives to proclaim this message. Are we willing to give ourselves to this task in that way? Are you willing to be a martyr? And, and that could mean one of two things. Maybe, maybe that means I need to die for my faith. I need to, I need to go into the heart of India where they're, they're going to cut my head off for proclaiming the gospel. And, and am I willing to give my life? Or am I willing to give my life on the long term, day in and day out, as long as the Lord gives me breath, using it to proclaim this gospel? Am I willing to be a martyr? Romans 1, 16 I love this verse. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation for those who believe, first for the Jew and then also for the Greek. Do we, do we believe that? Are we willing to be that kind of witness to say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel? The implication there being the gospel might bring shame on my head in this worldly context. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. I love uh, Acts 20. 24, we, I just felt like we kind of stumbled on this preaching through Acts last, oh, yikes, two years ago. And this is, I'd say this is the one verse that is just stuck in my head through the book of Acts. 2024, 20, Paul says, I do not account my life to be of any value nor precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. What a beautiful statement. Church, can you repeat that? 
that, that God would give us hearts like that, single-minded on that task. I don't care about my life. I don't care what kind of house I live in. I don't care about my, my health. I don't care about getting wealthy and comfortable in this world. My one job is to finish the course the Lord has set in front of me to be a witness, to proclaim this gospel. Oh, that that would be not, not just a little part of our lives that sometimes I have a chance and I share the gospel, but that would be the mission of our time on earth. That that would define us. That we would give our lives relying on his power and repeating that proclamation. And then, of course, the goal, reaching all people. It's the last words of this verse. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus, again, is, is challenging their original question. You're going you're gonna to restore the kingdom of Israel? And, and Jesus says, oh no, no, it's way beyond that now. Oh, we're, we're going bigger. He's challenging them to be, as the church, what Israel was meant to be, a light to the nations, a witness to the ends of the earth. Reading through Isaiah uh, just a couple months ago, and I stumbled on this verse that, that somehow I'd just never seen before. Um, listen, it's, it's God uh, speaking kind of in the hearing of Isaiah. Isaiah's overhearing this conversation between God and his servant, and the servant here is Jesus. And he says, It is too light a thing. I love that. It's too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light to the nations that my salvation might reach to the ends of the earth. This blessing, these promises that were made to Israel will be fulfilled to Israel, but far beyond. We get brought in, we get, we get folded into this amazing promise. Salvation of God going now to the ends of the earth. And we have the honor and the privilege of, of being messengers of that gospel of being instruments in that great plan. Now, I'm sure you see the, the geographical significance here. Jerusalem's their home city. That's, that's where they live. Judea is the province around them. Samaria is the next province over. And then I think the ends of the earth is pretty explanatory, self-explanatory. Um, we'll talk more about this when we get to the, the six distinctives and looking at, at church planting. Uh, but, but that's part of our job going to the ends of the earth. We ought to be a sending and going people, right? Christianity is not a come and see religion. It's not as if we, we have the temple and we just welcome anyone who wants to come. No, we're to go. We're to go to the ends of the earth. We so easily fall into that. Instead of sharing the gospel, we, we tell people, hey, why don't you come to church? And we hope that they, they see our sign out on the road and they just kind of, find their way here, come and see what God is doing. And that's not a bad thing. We, we put those signs there and we hope that people will, will see them and, and come. And that's okay, but, but we can't let that overshadow the fact that we are to be a going and sending people. We ought to be sending people out to the ends of the earth. Missionaries sent out to, to unreached people groups at the end of the world. That's, that's a big part of why we're gathered together with the GCC. Because alone we're we're having a hard time that, that we would be able to send a church planner to Nepal. Um, together with the GCC, we have 13 churches being planted in Nepal right now. That's awesome. 
And we get to be a part of that. Um, there are churches happening in, in places that the gospel has not been preached, um, maybe ever. And, and we get to band together and send people uh, to the ends of the earth and, and helping local churches grow. But we also need to recognize that from the disciples' perspective there in Jerusalem, we are the ends of the earth. We're there. We are beyond what they knew even existed. Um, we are missionaries planted in, in Didsbury, in Caroline, in, in Olds, in Sundry, in Carstairs, in Sylvan Lake. We, we, we know the language. We, we've studied the culture. We, we have jobs. We have neighbors. We have relationships built. This is every missionary's dream to walk into the situation that you have in your town, to be counted as one of the people there. Like missionaries work for years to get to that point. And we're just, we're just given it here. This is our mission field. God has planted us right here, this church, as an outpost at the ends of the earth to, to proclaim his gospel to, to Mountain View County and beyond. We need to, we need to treat it that way. When, we, when you walk out those doors after the service, you're, you're entering the mission field. Your, your job is awesome as, as an influence, as, as, a, as an in to share the gospel, to connect with people, to, to have opportunities, to build relationships that can lead to, to sharing the gospel, to proclaiming that message. We ought to see everything we do, everything we have as, as leverage for the kingdom. But there's also another dimension to this progression of locations. Jerusalem and Judea, that's where all the respected Jews lived. These were the people who were like them. They, they speak our language. They dress like us. They have haircuts like us. They, they do the things that we do. We're comfortable with those people. They're the people who are more likely to follow Jesus. They're the people we look at and think, how come they don't go to church? Boy, they would just, they would just fit in. Like, those people need to come to church because, because they would just be friends, and I would just like to have them as, as part of the church. They just seem to fit in. And, and so those, those people, actually, I think we sometimes falter the other way. We almost forget we need to share the gospel with them. We absolutely do. If they're not saved, they're as, they're as far gone as the, as the, I don't know, the native living in the jungles of Ecuador. But they're the, they're the easy people. They're the people like us. Samaria, that was a little touchier. You know, that was a little more stretching. The, the Samaritans, uh, according to the Jews, the disciples were Jews, they were half-breeds. They were mixed race. God had commanded that the Jews would stay pure and not intermarry among the nations, and that's exactly what Samaria was. And so they were outsiders. They weren't welcome in Judea. They were different and then, of course, the ends of the earth, those are, those are just the absolute untouchables. That's the Gentiles, the unclean, the, the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Arabians, the, the Greeks, the Romans. The, those people, I mean, no respected, self-respecting Jew would, would get too close. You, you wouldn't spend time with those people. You didn't want those people. They weren't, they weren't even allowed into the temple. They're unclean. They have no part in Israel's Messiah? Jesus says, no. No, go to the Jews and go to the Samaritans and go even to the Gentiles. This gospel is for all people. For all people. 
How often do we judge? How often do we make ourselves arbiters of who is worthy of the gospel? That one person might be a a good person to share the gospel with. I, I like him. That makes sense. That's a good opportunity. But that person... No, I don't think it's appropriate there. I don't think they would listen. I don't think they would be interested. Maybe if we're really painfully obvious, I'm not even sure I want that person in my church on Sunday. I don't know that I want to have to sit next to them. They make me uncomfortable. They're different from me. The Lord doesn't show favoritism. Heaven will be populated with people from every tribe and every language, every tongue and nation. There will be rich and poor. There will be stock traders right beside former drug addicts. There will be redeemed alcoholics and bikers and gang leaders alongside saved lawyers and doctors and bankers, all equally indebted to the grace of God, all having heard that glorious gospel proclaimed to them by some faithful witness. amazing the extent of the grace of our God. And if we're honest, it's amazing that it, that it reached to us. We're not told to be witnesses to those who are good candidates for church, those who, who, who are like us, but to all people everywhere. We're to proclaim it broadly. We're to be like the, the, the farmer who, who spreads the seed, just throws it out wherever it might land and, and, and see what the Lord might do, see where the Lord might bring growth. That's, that's our mission. Will you dedicate your life not just to living morally, hoping that people will notice, not, not just to being nice people or even to saying God loves you, but, but faithfully relying on his power, repeating that proclamation and reaching all people. Jesus said to his disciples, Matthew 9, 37, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly that the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers into his harvest. It's not the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There are more people out there who will respond to the gospel. We need more people who will go and share. What an amazing thing. I love the, I can't think of the reference right now, but in, in Acts, when, when Paul is being persecuted, I believe it's in Corinth, and, and the Lord appears to him and says to him, Paul, don't be faint-hearted. Don't give up, for I have many people in that city. He tells him there, there are many people there who will respond to the gospel, who are, who are sheep that are not yet of this fold. And so Paul stays there and he proclaims the gospel even longer, even more passionately. It's two years he stays. We want to have that mentality. They're out there. There are people there. There are piles of dead bones walking around that God will give life if we would just proclaim. If we would just be bold and trust in the Spirit and speak that message. We believe that. Do we live that out? That the harvest would be plentiful. Redemption Church, let us be part of the answer to Jesus' prayer. Let us be those workers who will give our lives to this harvest. Why? Because we're among those who deserve hell. 
because we were those Gentiles who were so far from God, who were without God and without hope in this world. But God, because of His great love with which He loved us, made us alive together with Christ by grace. You've been saved. Because we ought to know firsthand that this gospel is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. As Paul says, Jesus Christ came to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Invite Josh and Marissa to come back up. I want us to close focusing on this good news. As we think about what does it mean to reach the community, uh, but I want us to to pause first and think, what what does it mean for me? What does this gospel mean for us? Be reminded again of our own sin, our own need for a Savior, of His mercy toward us before we proclaim it to others. So we're going to close taking communion together. Um, Rather than passing it out this time, um, Becky and Caleb will be up front here holding it. Um, Just encourage you, when you're ready uh, during this next song as we're singing, you come and take the cup and the bread and take it back to your seat. Just take a time to reflect and to contemplate the greatness of this gospel and the goodness of our God toward us in in the shedding of the blood of Christ, the giving of His body for our sin. Um, So let me encourage you, let's, let's contemplate deeply our need for the mercy of God and His grace toward us.